You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. That's right, folks. We got through the entire, what would you call it? The Lucisiad. Luc- Luc- the. Yeah. Luc- I, don't, I don't care for Lucisiad at all, <laughs> but what would you call the oeuvre? The, the, let's see. The Lucas. Hex. Uh, Lucasian. The Lucas. The Hexiad. The Lucas, we got through the entire Lucas, hex, is a Hexiad six? I, I hope so. I'm checking. A hexagon has six sides. Is that what we're going off of here? Yeah. We're, we're remembering That's that hex we is Latin on. or whatever for hex. I think I made Hexiad up, but you know. Well, what would you call six movies done by George Lucas? That's the question. Listeners, tweet at Jake. <laughs> is he <laughs> still on Twitter? At Jacob Menzel. What's the hashtag? <laughs> Lucasfilm name tweet. Hashtag Lucasfilm name tweets. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, yeah, that'll, we'll get a lot of tweets about that. <laughs> well, what you think, or, or go to the Sanityville forums, where, wherever you want to, or send us an email through the warhornmedia.com link. Tell us what you think the six movies directed, conceived, produced by George Lucas should be called. Anyway, we're moving out of the, those, and we're not going to go to straight to your Force Awakens, because we're kind of following a rough chronology here, although not exactly, because this one comes before one of the yeah. first movies we talked about. But yeah, yeah. we decided to place Rogue One at this place in the order of what we are going to talk about. Which, by the way, Jake, you th- say that this was the correct order to watch the movies, right? Like, this has been borne out by the way your kids have appreciated them, the way that you've appreciated them, watching uh, them again. Um, I don't know. I think that there's still maybe a case for sticking Rogue One and Solo prior to the original trilogy. So you actually start with those? That, that's the, the, the only problem is then you're starting with those, and I have a yeah. problem with that. I don't like starting with those. Yeah. I could, see, I could see this. I could see New Hope, and then Solo and Rogue One, and then Empire, and then prequels. Yeah, no, I think that this is the right way to do I it. I think Because the right fact way. is, I mean, like if you're introducing, especially if you're introducing somebody to it. But I also, but I also think... You wouldn't want to do Lion the Witch and then Magician's Nephew, I don't think. You, you kind of right. want to give it some space. You, you actually want people to appreciate Rogue One, which means you want them to feel how resonant it is, which means you want them to kind of have lived with the meaningfulness of the original trilogy. And then... Yeah, like, then like, the, everything that's happening has all this gravity to it. You just watch Rogue One out of nowhere. You're like, oh, well, they died to transmit some plans. Great. I hope that works out. Yeah, but then you flip on A New Hope and it picks up right where Rogue One left off. And so you just continue that dramatic tension. Okay, so maybe the perfect... You're on a desert island. The only thing you have to do is watch Star Wars movies. Your life is this empty. Maybe the perfect way to do it is this. Four, five, one, two, three, six, Rogue One, four again. Yeah, maybe. So you, it's like you were watching a new movie. Yeah, there you go. You know who. I love it. Who, and then, and then you watch uh, Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky dog. <laughs> well, yeah. And then you get to see the poetic parallelism of oh right yeah of coming right off of, and, yeah and the new hope and Oops. you just it'd be like watching the same movie three times yeah i like it yeah. i like it and which one of the three times will be the one that you like the best it says a lot about you i think i think so yeah do you like a new hope without knowing any of the context do you like a new hope with the context or do you like a new hope repackaged as a new movie repackaged as a new movie hmm. with a girl feminist with a feminist 
Well, I want to time. You're a feminist if that's the one you like. If that's the one you like, you're a feminist. That's fired, baby. That's fired. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Rogue One. Rogue One. Do you remember? What do you remember about approaching this movie, Jake? Do you remember having any particular excitement or anticipation? This movie's when it well, was in theaters. Yeah, when it was in theaters. Yeah, like, yeah. I I had excitement and anticipation, and I went with a group of guys who took their sons. Mm. We were all still excited about the Disney film era of Star Wars. A manly father. Let the, let the testosterone flow through you. <laughs> yeah, man. Manly father-son bonding experience. Yeah, so I, I remember taking my oldest son mm-hmm. to a Star Wars movie with a whole bunch of other guys and kids. I remember sitting in the theater. I remember somebody else's kid being beside me who had never been to a Star Wars movie Oh, there you go. And I was waiting to jump him when the title crawl fanfare hit, and it didn't. But I was going to, you know, I was going to, like, startle him. But that's, but I wish you would have, because they actually do it. They do it as a jump scare. Like, it's actually a jump scare in this movie that there's no title crawl. It's like, bump! They do the music, like, hey, you thought there was a title crawl, idiot! Yeah, I know, but but it just... It got me. It like, got you, yeah. I, like, I wasn't, like, ready for that. You were cowering in oh, your seat. You were too... It's not exactly what I meant. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I just... I was ready to, like, shock him with mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the title crawl. Bum, bump, bump. Yeah. And then, whoosh. Yeah. It was more like a whoosh, wasn't it? I don't know. Anyhow, it just, no, they like, actually it, do caught, like, it caught me off guard. Old Michael Gianciano, or however you say his name, the composer of this movie, he does... He actually does jump scare music. It's just like, yeah. bump. It's this little big, yeah. brassy... Yeah, orchestral hit. I'm gonna surprise you, which I thought was really smart. Actually, watching yeah. it this time, but we'll have to talk about the score at yeah. some point because you know what? We're old friends, and our listeners are friends. Why don't we talk about the score now? What the heck? We don't have to go in chronological yeah. order. Well, I remember thinking when I saw the movie in theaters that eh, you know what? These were nice allusions and riffs mm-hmm. on John and hat tips to Williams original score while giving it a different flavor. I kind of appreciate it. Oh, are we going into, you know, like a binary sunset Jedi music kind of thing? Nope. We're not. Are mm-hmm. we going into the triumph, uh, the triumphant fanfare? Oh, nope. We're not. We got our own dorky little fanfare. Yeah, but it works. I really like it. And I've heard a lot of nerds express displeasure about I- this. I don't know that you could do a better job if your goal was you are not John Williams. Right. You're not allowed to use John Williams's music, but it has to feel like this exists in John Williams's world. Like Well, the thing that's really smart about it, I think, and having watched the films so close together, it helps. A New Hope actually feels like it exists slightly outside of John Williams universe of of themes because they just weren't all written you have like the jedi theme the force theme you know the main fanfare but what you but you don't have the imperial march the bad guys have a much more subdued brassy bad guy theme yeah it just star wars as as a vocabulary of musical themes wasn't very developed and so this feels like a precursor it actually does and i appreciate the the seed form of what was going to become the it, it's really smart, actually, and I, I think, and he doesn't press those buttons that you might expect. When Vader shows up in his palace, we do get a little bit of the Vader theme, but when he's mowing down those guys, we don't get the Vader theme. That's really yeah. cool. Like, we don't... I love the music in that. 
yeah, it's at just, that moment. And in fact, it never occurred to me that it should be like the Imperial March in that moment. I think that, that would always, be the cliched thing to do. Like this is the ultimate just expression of the Darth Vader's in and of evil. Itself. It just didn't need to happen. Yeah. I think the music's great. And I think people that whine about it are like, what did you want? The, the composer has an impossible task. We, John Williams, you know, was was, okay. was was alive when electricity was invented. Like the guy's a thousand years old. He can't keep writing scores for Star Wars movies forever. So the composer has a choice. He can either lean into Williams and find a way to riff on what Williams has done, which is what he did, or he can lean away from it and you can get electric guitars like in some of that cheesy early Clone Wars stuff. Yep. And I don't think anybody would have been happy with that. No, that nobody was going to be happy with anything. Yeah, he had an impossible so- task. Yeah. Live up to the maestro. I mean, John Williams, the greatest film composer maybe of all time, of the certainly of the, well, of the 20th century, that which comprises most of film history. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you, one of probably the greatest composers, just period, outside of, you know, film or no, of the 20th century, you got to live up to that and you got to pay homage to that. And people are going to be noticing it. Like, I don't always yeah. think about the music in movies, but in this movie, the first it time I saw it. It was impossible not to think about you, it. You couldn't think. Oh, they're they're not using the Imperial March here. You keep hearing what they're not doing, doing. and when they do do it, when they do just use the Rebel fanfare, you know, when when the uh, good guys show up at the end, when the Alliance shows up, you notice that too because it's conspicuous by its absence yep. elsewhere. Two thumbs up from Sanity at the Movies for this score. Oh yeah, good job, Gianschino. Giacchino. Giacchino. You can continue to score. More Star Wars movies, as far as I'm concerned. I think Williams is going to be around. Uh, I mean, I hate to talk this callously about this, but I think he will. I think he has officially scored Rise of the Skywalker. So he lived. I mean, he's a he's yeah, in his 80s he's or 90s re- now. I think that's the retirement of. He's got to. He doesn't want to start a, a new yeah. trilogy like the Ryan, Ryan Johnson's trilogy doesn't deserve to have the great John Williams. Yep. John Williams has already scored one too many Ryan Johnson movies with The Last Jedi. Yeah, no, I think the score is a win. Let's talk about Rogue One, though. If people don't know, this is a famously troubled production. Tony Gilroy, the writer of, he's the director of films like Michael Clayton, and he's like a famous Hollywood script doctor, script writer. That's what he's most known for, is just doing screenwriting work. And he wrote movies like all four of the original Bourne movies through the Jeremy Renner one, Bourne Legacy, which he actually directed. And so he's just like a master of structure and, you know, like there's nothing particularly original about a Bourne movie, but they're clever and they're fun and they're well-paced and Mm -hmm. he's good at that stuff. So he's the guy that came in and apparently salvaged this movie. And some some reports say up to 40% of the movie was reshot, redone under under Gilroy's hand. The original guy that did it, maybe I should have started with him. His name is Gareth Edwards. He directed the Godzilla movie. He comes from special effects. And I think you can tell, and I think it's oh, one of the man, yeah. it's one of the benefits of this movie. He knows yep. you, you, you you can tell it is the it is the most beautifully shot Star Wars movie. Period. I don't care what you say. Well, I I think that's true, and I think what you can see is you can see a guy who came from special effects, who's had to work on other people's special effects, and probably has just given a lot of thought to what do I want my special effects to look like? How do I think directors should be using? my special effect, you know, like I put all this work into these special effects and then somebody edited them together this way and it didn't show them off in the best way. You know, it's that kind of, it's like when, you know, Tina Fey's been writing on Saturday Night Live for her whole life and then suddenly she's going to have her own show with 30 Rock or something. It's like, she's been thinking a lot about what, what does she think comedy should be? And now she's going to, you know, it's one of those kind of, she's going to show the world. And so 
I think what you see, the thing that I noticed, especially watching it this time, there's a thing that I really don't like, and I call it the Peter Jackson thing. I guess I don't call it anything. I don't have a name for it. But I think of it as a Peter Jackson thing. I remember first noticing it in Fellowship of the Ring and those stupid uh, Lord of the Rings movies, which I like, by the way. But the camera will swoop around and do all these things like, it's Soromon's palace. We're going to like suddenly swoop down into the cavern. Yeah. And the camera does all these things that cameras can't do. do. Yeah. And to me, that always screams CGI. And that was a big thing for a couple of years after Jackson. But then we started doing things where... It felt more realistic. Let's shoot the special effects. I think even like a, a, an Avengers movie at their worst can fall into this. Like we're going to swoop around and see everybody in a way... Spin around the Avengers in a... Yeah. In a way that we wouldn't actually be able to see them. But the kind of special effects that I think are really cool and that obviously Gareth Edwards thought a lot about this is let's just shoot it on the ground as we would see it. So for example, there's that shot where they're approaching, is it Jeddah? Is that the name of the city? Or is yeah, Jeddah City. Jeddah City. They're approaching Jeddah City and we look up and we see the Star Destroyer looming yeah. over the city. And it's powerful because it evokes me standing next to the Empire State Building or me on the West Coast looking at a big, uh, one of those battleships. You know, when you, when you actually come across something in real yeah. life, you look up at it and he shoots it that way. It, it's a perspective on a Star Destroyer that we've actually never seen before. Right. We, we've had six movies up to this point, or seven mm-hmm. up to this point, and we have never seen this on-the-ground imposing perspective of a Star Destroyer. Right. Nothing like it before. And the, this movie's full of moments like that. Same thing with the, I mean, the most famous one from the movie that was in all the posters, the Death Star looming yeah. in the horizon. The Death Star in the horizon. What would it be like to be on the planet when the Death Star shows up? Yeah. Like, how cool was that? And, and uh, the, even great allusions to Peter Jackson type work uh, from the very outset, flying into different places and seeing, you know, Jedi's carved into mountains or fallen. You, yeah. can't, you can't even really tell, like, is it Jedi, a, a Jedi laying down that was carved into a mountain or is this a, a fallen massive statue. fallen statue? Like, yeah, 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 like a, what's the Shelley poem? Uh, you know, Ozzy Ozymandias. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, Jackson did it. I mean, to give Jackson a little bit of credit, we talk about that moment all the time. One of the best, probably the best moment from all three Lord of the Rings movies is when they sail under those two big stone guys with the uh, yeah, fellowship with with their their Good. hands out. Yeah, and it's shot as if you're standing under the Statue of Liberty, as if you're standing yeah. under the, as if you're sailing under this thing, and it's really really cool. Yeah, the big stone feet right there. That's a moment that or the first time I saw it, I, I won't forget yeah. that feeling. It was super evocative. It was super cool. It really helped make that world feel lived in. And that's what, man, coming away from Rogue One, mm-hmm. seeing it in theaters, I was so excited. It is the only Star Wars movie I've ever purchased hmm. because I was just, I just thought it was so cool. Yeah, you're just getting dropped on the ground There's in so the Star Wars candy. world. You felt like, you know, hey, for the first time, this is really what it would feel like to be me Mm -hmm. a normal person in this world and it was just such a neat feeling i think that more than anything is what had me excited about rogue one yeah and first came out and that's great and it's all through the movie and it's just there's actually very few shots i started paying attention and watching for it there's very few shots that are just the big grand establishing shot there's one or two of the death star i think that's it mostly it's just like this is what the characters would be seeing it's from the ground level and it just, even when you're in the jungle and the ATTs are looming over and, and searching for you, at every point, 
it places you in the middle of the action on the ground in a way that's really cool yeah and brings that universe to life and in a lot of the places like part the other thing that i think is cool is even when it comes to the places where they shot this stuff uh, so many of the star wars movies are trying to set you in a place that feels otherworldly mm-hmm. and this movie did the opposite yeah you know i know that like the the very first opening shot we're running down a beach but it feels like with the the black earth feels like you're in the midwest mm-hmm. i don't know is this in florida now like so many of these little places feel they have those otherworldly elements they have you know the weird features right and the weird people and whatever else but also it was expanding on the world right it was expanding on the the atmospherics of this universe well and part of the fun of the original lucas movies was we're gonna make a whole planet out of this place from earth our earth that's neat so we've got the redwood forests we'll we'll make the forest moon of vendor it's like okay that's the californian redwood we have yeah this is the californian redwood planet cool yeah we have the antarctica planet and it's just taking things that are recognizable and I mean, it's doing what great fantasy should do, actually, which is to take the recognizable and reframe it, reframe it in such a way that it becomes fantastic again, that it becomes yeah. that it triggers your imagination. You know, the first time you see snow, it triggers your imagination. Then you have to, like, wipe off your car and deal with snow for the next decades of your life. And suddenly snow isn't that magical. You make a snow planet, though, and suddenly you give adults and kids permission to regard snow as big and fantastic and scary and magical the way that someone seeing snow that's what that's what fantasy does and that's what this does the jungle kind of area that they fight the last battle you know the uh in this movie the the last third the, the, the heist the tropical to, to me it feels like a world war ii a pacific oh, theater yeah. absolutely thing but it's taking you know you watch that old pacific theater footage and it's like that's a corny old iconic thing i've seen a million times doesn't do much for me they're just giving it to me again. They're reframing it in a way. But with stormtroopers and death troopers. And, and death troopers. Yeah, I love those uh, The death, death troopers. troopers are pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> so. How do you make something more ominous in Star Wars? You reshape the armor just a little bit, put some red highlights on it, and make everything they say more indiscernible. Yep, yep. <laughs> And call them death something. Yeah, <laughs> the add empire, the word death. <laughs> the, the Empire has like a real creative team of Imagineers <laughs> working in the concepts division. The death Star, Dar- Death Troopers, Storm Troopers. We already used death, so maybe Star Killer? The Star Killer? The star, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it kills stars as it. You know what? I like to think that the people that work in the conceptual design and creative divisions of of the Empire, they're probably actually really good at their job. And probably (laughs) the bureaucrats like Director Krennic choose the dumbest (laughs) things. (laughs) They probably had a really cool name for the Death Star, for the Death Troopers. Yeah. I'm like, ah, just make it more scary. We need something. This will, you know, this will test well with audiences. Project Stardust. Yeah, Project Project Stardust. Yeah, you know, Uh, Krennic doesn't let his project get called project star dressed you know he yeah. project doom death doom die death doom die <laughs> exactly <laughs> well so to close the loop on what got us here gareth edwards is obviously a director who's thought a lot about how to present these things visually and it's really powerful what he does he actually does the same thing did you ever see his godzilla movie godzilla 2014 or whatever the i don't 
think so, no. It's not great. It's pretty boring. But the scenes with Godzilla, as you might imagine, are good. And it's because he does the same. He does the exact same thing. He shoots it like as if you're there and you're seeing Godzilla. And it's really cool. There's a scene in particular that I remember that takes place like at an airport. And it's looking out those windows like you've done as a kid a million times. Gone and looked out the window and seen the yeah. planes. Instead, you're seeing a monster rampaging. And just framing it with those that fr- the, the window the big giant window frame to yeah. look through does so much for Godzilla's mystique and power and majesty. Well, I'm playing on that. I mean, I take, I've taken kids to the airport for fun mm-hmm. to watch planes and just sit at those big windows before. Yeah. Cause I remember it as a kid when we would, we'd go, we'd fly out to Phoenix every summer to visit grandparents. And I remember, you know, how cool that was. And we don't have occasion for my family to fly places but we can go but we can go sit in the airport and get lunch and you know that's cool and so somebody like gareth edwards i think he'll probably consciously or unconsciously he'll think we've all done that we've all been awed at the majesty of looking through this kind of window and seeing a big airplane so what a way to frame godzilla it's going to trigger these childhood things and it's going to make godzilla seem that much bigger and if godzilla is smashing planes and stuff it's going to make as opposed to the unimaginative hack director who just shoots a wide helicopter shot that just looks down on Godzilla and sees all the destruction. And it might be a better special effect. You know, it might show you more, but seeing more isn't actually what you want. It doesn't actually make you feel like you're there with Godzilla. And so he's really, really, really good at that stuff. He obviously gave that to this movie. I don't know what happened in terms of, nobody knows what happened. I did a little research going into this. Lucasfilm pays people off. They paid Gilroy, who came in and... fixed did whatever he did to fix the movie did whatever he did to fix the movie they paid him a substantial sum of money i think he made five million dollars and he got a screenplay credit which is very interesting because the guild doesn't like to just award screenplay credits to people who do a little brush up Mm -hmm. and he was coming in and working on a completed film so what it seems like probably bears out the idea that he did a lot you know he probably people say he did about 40 percent, and if he's going to get a screenplay credit it probably means he did do something like that. And it's fun to guess at what the original stuff was and what the not original stuff yeah. was. The only thing that Gilroy has gone on record and said is we needed to be more anchored emotionally to the characters. So it wouldn't surprise me if her little doodad that she looks at two or three her times and some, some of her flashbacks like and that. stuff like that are, are him. Just anything that makes the characters more likable and more relatable. Who knows? It's interesting. It's interesting to contemplate that they didn't have a good screenplay ready when yeah. they were done. And that's a common theme with these franchise films is, you know, we made fun of Avengers for the fact that they actually had to discover in the editing room, oh, we should have Tony Stark say I'm Iron Man. How do you miss at least rejecting that in an early pass? Like, yep. I mean, like, we, that was one of the first things that we talked about is, is he going to get his moment to say I am Iron Man or not? And you were like, of course he does. And I was like, no, it's too obvious. Right. And they were like, we discovered that it would be cool if he did this. And the, it was like, guys. It was, like, it was missing something. It was like he needed to say something there at the end before he wiped out the bad guy. And then one of our editors was like, I know. He should say, I am Iron Man. And then we had to like do a reshoot like a month before the film dropped in theaters. Well, and what they actually said, I remember the quote. They said, what we realized is that Tony Stark, like, if he's going to die, he needs one last quip. You realized Tony Stark, the most <laughs> famous quippy character of 
our the era, MCU, like uh, if, if I say maybe, if I say yeah. quips, people think Tony Stark. Like you realized he needed a quip <laughs> <laughs> in editing. <laughs> like of course he needed a quip. That's his whole thing. This is a man who lives and dies by his mouth. That is Tony Stark. That 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 is the character, and that's what we love about Robert Downey Jr. You didn't think to give him a quip. I could maybe forgive you for having a bad quip and needing to, or or having multiple quips that you wanted to try out. Yeah. But, but the idea that you would get that far without realizing that you needed it, yeah, that's pretty rough. And so Rogue One, I don't know, similar thing. Like, what happened, and why is this movie okay? Here's my here's my million dollar question, Jake. Is this a good movie? It's a lot like a good. It is to the Star Wars universe what a movie like Thor Ragnarok is to the MCU. Which is what? Maybe Thor Ragnarok's not a not the right pick, but just we'll roll with it. Yeah. Or maybe even a movie like Spider-Man Homecoming. It a mo- let, Let's roll with Spider-Man Homecoming okay. for a minute. I'll say that Spider-Man Homecoming is a good movie in and of itself, but a lot of the emotional resonance of Spider-Man Homecoming depends on you having a previous relationship to the universe, to Tony Stark in particular, a general affection towards the character that you know as Spider-Man, whether or not you've seen this version of him or not. Well, let's just say this. RDJ's only in that movie for less than 10 minutes and huge emotional things hinge on him. The, The big emotional movements of that movie hinge on his performance and what he does and his character and our knowledge of his character. You can still enjoy the movie and get what's going on maybe without, but... And the coolest part of that movie really isn't the introduction of the titular character. It's the growth that we see in the MCU's main hero. Right. Into a father figure. Like, so it just depends on all this other stuff. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is so many movies in the MCU, they wouldn't stand alone as a great film, Mm -hmm. but they have their place in the context of a larger universe and they're part of the, that they're contributing to the story that is the whole. And so you tolerate uh, from a, a, a Marvel movie, what you would never tolerate from a standalone movie in terms of all kinds of things, because it's part of this greater whole that you've bought into or that you love or whatever. And you know, it's all going somewhere and it's all going to pay off somewhere down the line. Well, Rogue One is similar in that if it didn't have Darth Vader in it, Mm -hmm. if it didn't have stormtroopers and lasers, stark black and white Nazi-like, if you take away the the, what makes Star Wars, Star Wars, the stuff of Star Wars, you don't have a great movie. I don't even know that you have a movie. It might almost be nonsensical. At least nobody would know why they needed to care about any of this because they don't do a lot of work of within the self-contained unit that is the movie of telling you why any of this is important. My wife was walked into this movie and she she just did not understand. She's very, she's, I wouldn't even say she's a casual fan. She's just not a fan of Star Wars. She literally turned to me and said i don't understand this is she what she actually said is this is just like marvel movies you have to watch everything to understand and i don't understand this and she's right yeah so it depends a lot on what you bring to it right but like with marvel movies i don't fault a movie within a framework like this for depending on knowledge of the greater universe right because it's all part of a larger story that's being told in a larger ecosystem. I think that we ought to allow the directors and writers of these movies to be able to cheat and to, and to lean on you bringing things to the movie. I'm not saying that 
we shouldn't expect and they shouldn't be striving to make these movies, movies that are in and of themselves great movies. But I am saying that there ought to be places where we're allowed to use shorthand, we're allowed to use, to make some assumptions here and there mm-hmm. in order to allow us to advance and tell the actual story here that we're trying to tell. Yeah, I think it took me a long time with Rogue One because I got out of the movie and I was just like, wait a second. I was like, I really liked that actually. I, it, made me, it made me cry. Like it was, I, I felt all the Star Wars feels, but the other part of my brain is like, this isn't good. This is, this actually isn't good. Like if, if you hold it up to any standard of what a traditional story should be in terms of plot and character and everything, it's just not good. And we can talk more about some of the stuff that's not good about it. Yeah. But I, it was like cognitive dissonance. Like my brain was fighting with itself. It feels good, but it's not good. And the, it feels good part eventually won. What I realized was it was, I was just being grumpy to hold the, this movie actually wasn't designed to adhere to the traditional standard. It was designed to adhere to a more, I'm sorry, but a more sort of metatextual standard. This movie was supposed to play with 40 years of Star Wars history. That's right. And that's why it's become a fan favorite and why it's become the only movie that 40-year-old plus 35-year-old plus people really love. It's because it is the adult Star Wars movie that is metatextual and is playing with your 40 years of history that you bring to it and lore and whatever else you bring to it and desire to live in this world and experience it again like you did as a kid, but now as an adult and, but with an adult feeling story and with Vader, right? you know, and all that sort of thing, but in a way that actually gets you as an adult. Yeah. Let me make 35 year old. You feel how scary Vader felt the first time you saw him when you were five. Let me me redo that for you as an adult. Let me, let me make 35, 40, 45, 50 year old. You feel like this world that a star destroyer is as big and imposing as it felt when you were five. Right. Let me make this world feel as big and scary and who knows what could happen and dangerous as it felt to you as when you were a kid. Let's let's enter a torture octopus and mm-hmm. a, a scary, creepy guy that makes Jabba feel tame. Pretty and, tame and yeah, yeah, let's let's just like all of these elements, we're just gonna ramp it up and make it adult and try to make you feel that, evoke those sorts of feelings. And I think that is why that movie tends to work for the older nerd crowd who that's the Star Wars that they want now, right? They want the adult Star Wars well, and it's actually the Star Wars that they remember. That's the interesting thing. If right. you go back and watch the original Star Wars, it's like, this is really cheesy and plain and simple, but you don't remember that way from when you're a kid. Well, you remember that Moss Eisley, but you don't remember Moss Eisley's spaceport as being a bunch of guys in rubber masks that being cheesy and doing an old West riff. You remember it as being a hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. So this movie actually presents adult scum and villainy in a way that you can feel as an adult. And it actually triggers more real Star Wars nostalgia yeah. By doing something that the original Star Wars never did, yep. actually. Yep. You feel the moral complexity as a kid of Han just blasting Greedo away. You watch it as an adult. It's like, who cares? But then this movie is going to actually do do that. You yep. feel like Vader's scary as a kid. And then it's like, you watch it as an adult. Okay, it's a dork in a robot costume. This movie is going to make Vader scary again. Yeah. So it's smart. And it doesn't... And what the other thing that I realized in preparing for this, I was thinking about it. There is actually a lot of literary and cultural precedent for things that only exist in relation to other things. couple examples. Shakespeare assumes knowledge of British history like 
you don't you can't just go into a Henry play cold or you can. I mean, Shakespeare's still a genius, but it certainly helps if you bring context to it and if you already have your villains and your heroes picked and so and you already know who's going to win the battle yeah so you're just watching shakespeare riff on that stuff just like in this movie you're watching he's showing you how it happened yeah exactly and he's saying this was the cost and this was the feeling and this was the funny stuff but you already know how you feel about it the other probably the best example and people always like to compare modern franchise filmmaking to this but it's because it's a good comparison is greek myth you know, you dip into Homer and it's like, you're supposed to know all these relationships. You're supposed to know all these heroes. Yeah. You're supposed to know everything about this. And we're just, and Homer's just doing his riff on stuff. You all this stuff. Know. In fact, Homer's doing a very, specifically in the Odyssey, he's doing something very much in this lineage where it's like, Troy was the big, exciting battle that we should all remember. But now here's the story of the one guy right. and what happened to him and his dorky little kingdom. Yeah, and that's how Rogue One fits in. Mm -hmm. We all know the story of Luke and Vader and Anakin and, you know, the Death Stars. Right. But here's the story about the guys on the ground who got the plans. Right. We all know, we've all seen the painting of Washington crossing the Delaware. Who's the guy rowing the boat? That's, That's this movie, like let's forget about Washington. Like we, we, we know his story. Who are the people that died to set him up to win, to set him up to win. And that's a great conceit. And that carries the movie. And it's a good example of how a, a really good idea like that can carry it's a powerful idea. Yeah. And it's a power. I, th- I think the movie in and of itself is a little bit choppy, even at its best, but the idea really carries the other example I thought of, of this kind of, I don't know what you'd call it. This, this, the, the sort of entertainment that relies on other entertainment and it's something that we just accept in comedy. We always accept this. You know, it's the, that's what Rachel would do. You know, the best episodes of Friends aren't the early ones that just have jokes that anybody can get. They're the later ones. You know, the reasons the show's beloved is because everybody fell in love with those characters. They knew these characters. And so Jennifer Aniston or David Schwimmer can just say something that in and of itself is not funny at all. And because we have history. Yeah. It's hilarious. I think of, you know, the old comedian from the early 20th century, Jack Benny. The biggest laugh he ever got is a robber comes up to him and says, your wallet or your life. Jack Benny pauses for a second and the Robert says, come on. And Jack Benny says, I'm thinking. Not, Jake, you're not falling out of your floor (laughs) on the floor laughing there. (laughs) But the thing was, Jack Benny was a lovable skin flint. That was like his thing was he... He didn't like to part with money and he'd done decades of jokes about that. And so he says, I'm thinking, and the audience can't stop laughing for two or three minutes and it's completely lost. If you just watched that episode of the Jack Benny show, it'd be completely lost on you. It's more or less, I'd know about it academically, but it's lost on me. But context is key. Context context is king. They have this, they, they know who Jack Benny is. They bring all that. It's actually funnier than the best joke rachel just being well, rachel is funnier than the off, best written joke it's because it's paying off 10 years of character setup right. right or however long it is right and that is what a movie like this can do is it can it can pay off 30 40 years of setup and that's what that vader scene is all about that vader scene is all about paying off 30 or 40 years of kids on playgrounds pretending and trying to figure out how cool Vader must actually be in what it would look like for him to actually let loose. Yeah. Let loose. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's kids that grew up in the seventies or eighties and they've imagined a million times what it would look like for Darth Vader to just do his thing. And they never really got to see it. And now we're just going to 
just going to give it to him. Yeah. It also makes this the first Star Wars movie that's not a kid's movie. Yeah. Did you watch this one with your kids when you... No, it's the only movie I haven't shown to my... my, I took my my oldest son to the theater with a bunch of friends and their kids. They had much younger... There were much younger kids there than him. But I don't know if I'd read something or whatever. I was only brave enough to take my oldest son. I wrecked him and he didn't understand it. And I felt bad about him being there. And I haven't shown it to the rest of my kids. Because, you know, everybody dies and... Mm -hmm they the humor isn't f- doesn't translate there are things that are going on they're just way above yeah kids heads which is fine i mean i think if you wanted to criticize the movie you i think it is le- legitimate to say well come on guys i mean this is a kid's this franchise is a, pe- those five-year-olds are going to end up in the theater so it would be nice if you could take that into an account into account as an adult i'm kind of glad they didn't because the movie does work for me but uh, i don't know I I don't want to completely brush aside the criticism of we need to take into account the fact that every parent in America is going to yeah bring their at kids least, to this at thing. least of these early things where they're just used to the idea of Star Wars is a cultural phenomenon for kids. Right. It's like Anakin. Think of, think of little Anakin, you know, mm-hmm. running around and Jar Jar Binks. Ooh, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like goofy Abbott and Costello slapstick stuff happening and. Those are the expectations that were set for Star Wars. Right. Now we could blame, we could actually probably blame George Lucas. He's the one that sort of introduced this, this disconnect between, you know, once he decided to go back and fill in the Anakin story, suddenly it was going to be like, episode one has Jar Jar Binks and he's stepping in Bantha stuff. And then by the end, we're going to have a guy that looks like a Holocaust victim and his eyebrows have been burned off by lava and he's, yeah. his limbs have been, there's always been this weird, ever ever since the prequel tril- tril- trilogy, there's been this weird push and pull between, right. is, it, and, is it for adults or is it for kids? And, and so they took something out of the main trilogy yeah, and decided they were going to push forward adult Star Wars. It was a decision they made. It was conscious. It was hey, we're going to do a movie. It's not a main trilogy movie and it's not going to be a kid's movie. We'll see what happens. And what happened is all the geeks loved it. I mean, I guess they did. Yeah. It's, it's a, still a top. I, I mean, most people, I, a lot of the list out there put it at one or two. I can only speak anecdotally here, but I feel like I talk to people and they, they like this movie. Adult men specifically. Yeah, that's like, the vibe that I've always gotten. This is a cool movie. It. And you might even talk to somebody who's a casual Star Wars fan and they're like, yeah, this is the one that, you know, was actually for me. Mm-hmm. A little bit more than some of the the other things. But do you agree with me that this movie, if we do, if, if you know, we, we, we have minutes to fill on a podcast. So if we do take a step back and talk about how the movie is actually done, can we agree that it's actually not? Here's, here's what I would say, I guess. There, this there, this this movie is a wonderful. There's a wonderful 20 minute movie, buried within a pretty good hour length movie, buried within a mediocre two hour movie. And the wonderful 20 minute movie is the last 20 minutes of this movie, the death of our heroes, the final heist. Yep. The hour is once they get in Rogue One. And that's a pretty good movie. You know everything going to Scarif, and that's all mm-hmm. good movie. The mediocrity is. Everything that gets us onto Rogue One is just not great. Yeah, I've already, I think the simplest way to say it is the way that I said it before, which is you take away all of the things that make this a Star Wars movie, the lasers and the right. stormtroopers and the Death Star and Darth Vader. It's pretty blah, even though at the very end, it's still going to be pretty great when 
everything kind of comes together and everybody has their heroic moment right. and their part to play in this quest that's on the knife's edge mm-hmm. of is the universe going to be doomed or not. But I submit to you that instead of just tearing up, they could have destroyed you. Like this oh, movie yeah. could be the most powerful star, you know, maybe it is the most powerful Star Wars movie, but it could be 10 times more effective if all those characters were really set up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't have any question about that. The fact is they gave us some cynics who end up on a suicide mission who are actually hopeful dreamers. Right. And they don't, they don't set that up and sell it. No. Well, if you think about a mission movie, like an Ocean's Eleven or a Dirty Dozen, we're going to go to each character and we're going to spend a little bit of time and it's going to be like, this is what George Clooney's like and this is what Brad Pitt's like and this is what Matt Damon does in his day-to-day life. This movie just weirdly, and I can't, this must just be the root shit, it's like, it skips that stuff, kind of. I mean, it's there, but it's really truncated and... I mean, I didn't really, I, I was trying to figure out, like, what, what is it? Why doesn't it quite land, this, this first act in particular? Well, Diego Luna's character is pretty confusing. I mean, I guess by the end of the movie, we're supposed to Why know Why does that, he shoot that guy? Yeah, that's the, whole, that's the whole problem. There's a textbook idea. There's a, there's a, the idea is that he's done bad things and he's willing to do bad things, but... That's a really he's confusing, a really poorly... A really yeah, confusing way to do it and to tell that story and to make you feel nervous or scared about him as a character. And then suddenly we're supposed to just accept that actually he's a hero deep down. Well, and we never get that conflict until such time as we're told that it was always there. You know, you, it'd be one thing if he shot the guy and then he made a sad face um, or we saw him walk into a bar and get a drink or I don't know what the good version would be. None of those. But, you know, there's a million ways you could tell the story of you know, I mean, the classic is Humphrey Bogart in, in Casablanca. They're, you know, the first act of that movie is setting up this guy's cynical. He's lost his way. Maybe he's still got some good buried in him, but he's going to not let the Nazis drink at the bar. We're going to get some indications, but... Solo's going to shoot first, and then he's going to be disparaging about the Force and the Jedi, and then he's going to still be there at the end, and he's going to come back and provide right. cover fire and... When Diego Luna's like, when, when they go to, uh, in, in act two, they go to her father, where her father is, whatever that planet's yeah. called. And he's suddenly like, Jin's down there. I care about her. It's like, why? You never gave any indication of being somebody who cared about anybody. Anybody. Or anything except completing the mission. Except completing the mission. And we haven't seen any conflict. Like we, we could have maybe seen a scene where you're like, I'm going to choose to be a jerk. But we never see, saw you make that choice. Now you suddenly feel that way. And then you're going to get back and then you're going to be all cagey about everything. Yeah. It's like you're going to do, it's like it, it almost works because we're so used to these cliches, you know, the anti-hero with the heart of gold kind of thing, the right. Bogart character, the Dirty Harry kind of character. We're so used to that sort of thing that we kind of accept it because it's simply, okay, well, this is the part in the movie where I guess he needs to start to crack, Yep. but they don't, they don't really do it. They don't actually do the work of... No, what they do is suddenly he has gone and put together a team and gives a little speech about how we all have red in our ledger and I'd like to wipe some of it out. You know? Yeah, and you don't really know, same thing for Jen. You actually, you get the first scene, which is great. I love the opening scene with Krennic taking uh, Mads Mikkelsen. 
that's a cool yeah. kind of Western scene. I love the fact that the bad guys park like a mile away. So yeah, I know. So they can walk ominously. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I think that's awesome. I think that's the kind of thing that nerds should never nitpick because that is what a Star Wars movie should be is iconography and silliness like <laughs> there's more than one part in this movie where people park far away from something simply so that they can have a dramatic walk up <laughs> walk up <laughs> but i love that i love the wild west of it all you know i love the wartime child hiding like it really puts you yeah puts you a thing i love i don't know if this is the time to talk about it but i love ben mendelson as director krennic i think he's, yeah, he's a, great no, he, he's, he's played. He's had to play that role about five times since then because but, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, yeah. people realize, okay, this guy has like nine different levels of sneer that he can do. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he's capable of using them all while also being completely emasculated in the presence of a Tarkin or a Vader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which is which is wonderful. And he's got that lisp, and he's just he was just born for this kind of role, but. I just love the idea of bad guy as middle manager. It's, it's kind of the same thing we were talking about with the heroes. Like these are all the, you know, these are the hobbits. You know, this isn't the story of Aragorn. This is the story of the hobbits. Yeah. Well, the same way I love, this is not the story of Sauron. This is the story, <laughs> you know, this isn't the story of Hitler. This is the story of some random cleric that, that arranged for the trains to go to Auschwitz. I'm sorry, that's a dark example. But it's like, there's a million. It's the pirate captain who brings the men in on, you know, from the sea for the battle at, uh, for the assault on, uh, Minas Tirith or whatever. Yeah. It's like, Is, how's that for a nerdy? <laughs> there, there, there's, there's a, it, there's a million guys that exist somewhere in this infrastructure. Who's behind all these pirates with massive elephants that Legolas is gonna yeah. slide down. And this is just a guy and he's a relatable, frustrated middle manager. He doesn't care about the empire. He just cares about <laughs> getting ahead and getting his project green lighted and having the right you know having the bosses the actually take notice tongue. yeah yeah it really is it's worm tongue worm tongue as someone who doesn't care about middle earth like this guy is just in the machine and he's worked hard and he's thinks he deserves something he needs that recognition and the key to a great villain like that and the thing that mendelson's really good at is i don't think he plays it like director krennic doesn't know that director krennic is the villain he just thinks that everybody's always kept him back and yeah. this is his big shot and he's gonna impress the boss Yep. And he's not doing anything particular. Star Wars has a good line in villains who just love to be evil. And I do enjoy that too. Yeah. But for this particular movie, it's nice to have a character who could care less about being evil. He just he just wants to get, get his promotion, he get his pension. He wants to be on top. He wants to get on top. He wants to have the stock options. And he's really, really frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> he's gotten so far and he's so close. <laughs> right. And then the- Tarkin's going to hold him down. And then it's wonderful that- you know, it's 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 wonderful poetic justice that somebody don't like that choke just on your ambitions. Yeah, don't dwell on that. We could maybe do without that line, but <laughs> <laughs> that was my brother's big hot take on the movie. He said, "How'd you like Rogue One?" Well, Darth Vader made a pun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you're obviously really invested in the franchise there. <laughs> but uh, and then the fact that he's he's going to be a, he's going to be someone who's blithely perpetuating the system, trying to get ahead, and then the system's going to just chew him up. And he's going to end up hoisted on his own petard. It's it's absolutely wonderful. He's yeah. going to be on the ground and look up as the Death Star blows, blows him to bits. Blows him to bits. That's just great. That that that's a that's good writing. That's good. I mean, we can complain about some of the things in the movie, but I think that's perfect. I really like that a lot. Well, uh, there are, there are, there's a lot of virtue in a lot of the performances, and you don't know how much of it. You know how many of the little details 
it is weird how scattered the movie is and how many little telling details are included. Mm-hmm. Even in the weirdest places, or not the weirdest places, but you know, it's like, I think it supports your theory that once his face came back and his goal was to just like, I got to find ways to add human touches to all these people. Mm-hmm. Okay, your thing is you got to keep repeating this prayer. Right. Right, like that's your thing. And it's going to, Res- it's going to have to do the work of resonating really emotionally at the end when you just sort of blindly go, haha, blindly. Mm-hmm. Ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you go out and just walk through to your death, your heroic death, or you are a a broken old man who is confused and also paranoid. But before your paranoid moments, you're going to suck on this gas mask. Right. And it's going to give the idea that. Yeah, there's something in this gas that is uh, maybe it's helping relieve your pain, but also it's driving you crazy. Right. You know, it's making you paranoid. It's contributing to the madness here. And that's going to give you just a little bit of a sympathetic touch to otherwise pretty undeveloped character in the movie, at least. But the thing is, the Saw Guerrera exists in both Clone Wars and Rebels. Right. And I accept that they probably do a nice job of filling him in yep. there. But the thing is, I, I if Gilroy was trying to add human touches, he had a real difficult problem. I think you can see the scars because character development actually basically stops. For Jyn Erso, it stops at about 40 minutes. She flips from being cynical survivor to hope, the, to hopeful speech giver the second she sees her dad's little hologram. Her emotional journey is done, actually. And Diego Luna's emotional journey is done about an hour into the movie because he's he's i've got red in my ledger and i want to get on rogue one and i want to go on this mission and now they're just both actually protagonists protagonists but it means that we have to very quickly in a way that's pretty choppy in a way that feels like it could just be its own movie and maybe it was in the on the editing room floor we've got to go on this journey with these characters where they have to go from being cynical Bogart kind of characters to being people who are Bogart at the end of Casablanca. Mm-hmm. But Casablanca of course is a two hour movie and it's hard to take Jen that far in 40 minutes. I mean, I think Jen in particular, like who is she actually? We don't have the scene. We have, we have the rebels bring her in and they say, you're this and you're this and they're this. They tell us some details about her life. But we don't really know what her perspective is. Is on. She says some things, some cynical things about surviving. I think we're supposed to fill in the blanks based on what we understand about cliches. And she has an emotional scene with Saw Gerrera where she's like, "You used me and right. you left me behind." But we're, we, as an audience, are always playing catch up. Oh, that was her relationship with Saul. Okay, well, that, that would have been emotional if I if I'd known that. We know who she was as a girl, and we just see her being sour and being tough but we don't actually know like we don't have the luke the luke looking at the twin sunsets or the anakin pouting even we don't actually know like has she made her peace with not seeing her father does she want to see her father is she i mean she's apparently ready to flip pretty quickly into rebellions are built on hope but which is a repeat line right but who is she actually i don't think the movie really knows or if it did, I mean, again, you can, you can, kind of, there's no question I can ask that you can't answer. Yeah. By, I can know. tell you who she is. Right. The movie gave you enough to piece it together. You do have to do that work yourself. But I mean, she's a little girl who was the daughter of a dreamer who had gotten himself in and out of a bad situation. 
and then she became an orphan and she was raised by a terrorist and was a strong idealist for a while until she got left out in the cold. She just tries not to think about any of it anymore. She tries to survive. She does what it takes to survive. But deep down... It's no problem to if the rebel flag or the imperial flag is waving if you don't look up. Yeah. That's a nice line. Yeah. Well, and, you know, then she has... Diego Luna throws the line, rebellions are built on hope mm-hmm. at her. And she's here and she's in all of this mess. And then suddenly there's her dad who everyone knows is the worst traitor of all. Right saying that he loves her and he misses her and he's done the one thing that nobody would expect, which is build the thing that was going to get built anyway, but plant a bomb, you know, give it a fatal flaw. Right. So that it's vulnerable. It's possible for it to be taken down. And now there's her dad and her dad's actually a hero, like she had always hoped and known, but had tried to not think about and had lost hope about and now her hope and faith has been restored and she's just right she's ready she's got to clear her dad's name she's gonna find him she's gonna do this she's gonna complete his mission all of that is there it's all there but and, and we're, we're told that by people you know Saul and her talking or by the rebels reading her dossier it'd be nice if we were made to feel it yeah if we spent some time you know let's see her trying to be cynical and not pay attention and then there's a little kid that's starving i mean this is so cheesy but this is the kind of thing that these movies do you know and then she steals a loaf of bread and gives it to the kid and then the she sings one jump and the guys chase her and then she ends up in jail and now we have a lot of information about who this character is we've seen them and and they have that moment even they have the, yeah, the little kid the little in the girl street. in the street fight that she jumps out to protect and but we're supposed to i think if they were gonna if the filmmakers were gonna defend this they would say well we're making an action movie and actually in the great tradition of star Wars, you need to keep up and character is action. And so you're just, we're just going to put them in this situation and you're going to see, and you're going to figure it out on the fly. And it's like, if they did make that defense, I actually think it's a bad defense. That's not what, that's not what a new hope did. A new hope had the binary sunset. It had Greedo comes after Han, you know, I had these things where we're going to pause the plot and we're going to tell you who these people are in, in broad, simple terms effective yeah, emotional but terms you, uh, but you would say and probably have said on our other episodes actually it's pretty hack when they did it and it's pretty flat and these characters are flat 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 all the way through and even though they try to tell you that they're not yeah but they didn't give us the hack flat thing and it's it's dumb they should have instead they just read it they just had the character read a dossier and then they had characters talk about it i'd rather have them show even show in a cheesy way than tell yeah i you're always going to be able to get me on the charge that if they'd made a different movie i'd have a different set of grumpy criticisms because nathan's nothing if not a grumpy critic of these things so i i plead guilty but i can still i'm still going to criticize the movie that they made (laughs) (laughs) you know i think cliches are i always prefer when people don't use cliches but i think cliches can be awfully handy yeah you know i mean i I would compare you know a, a cliche is like a a brick right like you can use boring red bricks to build an awesome house an awesome interesting house but sh- what you can't do is just have a, bo- a bunch of boring red bricks and say we built a house no you have to use them to build something sure. and the first act of this movie in particular feels like we've just got some big pile of bricks big pile of bricks and it's like 
no, you need to fashion them into something. And so let's let's add a few more bricks, actually. It would help. Let's add the scene where we see what kind of an attitude Jen has, how how much hope she actually harbors. Let's see why she got in that prison transport in the first place. And let's, okay, can I give like a one-minute feminism sex thing? I know this is yep. a boring point for sanity people, but I think it makes the movie worse. I, I look, I don't, what, whatever, feminism is such a boring thing to pick on these days because it's everywhere. But I actually think if she had a little bit more vulnerability, she would be more interesting. The fact that she can just get out of those scrapes by beating up men that are twice her size actually takes a little bit of drama out of the movie. If Diego Luna had to be the tough guy and she had to survive by her wits, I actually think that's a more interesting, that adds interest and color to... Wait, but who does she actually beat up? She doesn't actually fight anybody. Yeah, she does. There's a couple guys on the transport... Like when she's in jail before they even bust her out. Yeah, but they're they're unsuspecting. And then there's in the early in Jetta, there's a scene where there's kind of the classic like she's gonna grab a stick and knock over a bunch of stormtroopers or something like that. Oh yeah. But I I was thinking about what they should have done and the I was trying to think like who the ideal feminine action person would be. And I actually think while she's a little bit annoying, a little bratty. Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark is a good template for these kinds of characters. Because Marion can't, besides out drinking that guy at the very beginning, <laughs> which is ridiculous, Marion can't do things that Marion wouldn't be able to do. But she's plucky and she's tough and she's smart. So she's going to lure the guy in and hit him with the frying um, pan. With the frying pan. And she's going to try and seduce the French guy. And she's going to use everything that she has in an intelligent, effective way. She's not some bimbo. That's just mm-hmm. waiting for Indiana Jones to rescue her all the time. She's not the lady from Temple of Doom. He's just annoying you with her scream. But Indy. But she has a certain she has a certain amount of vulnerability as a woman. Like she can't just be picked up by the bad guys and tossed off. tossed around. And so that actually adds interest and suspense to the story because Indiana Jones has to protect her. A, but not just that, she has to think on her feet and be smarter than the guys that she can't just beat up. I think that would be good for Jen, and it would just work better for this actress who looks like a pixie doll and has these big eyes, and Mm -hmm. I just don't. It's dumb. True or false? True. Yay. Uh, What else do you want to say about, I guess we basically talked our way through act one of this movie. I don't understand why Saul Guerrero's in the movie. Did you like anything to do with him? It just felt weird. Does it work with Clone Wars? Like, if, if you know about Saul Guerrero, does it all make sense and is awesome? Uh, I don't know that it's awesome. It's a... Uh, we've seen him on this trajectory before kind of thing. So makes sense that that's where he ends. He was right. Right that what? Uh, the thing about Saul Guerrero is that Saul Guerrero always saw the Republic and the Rebel Alliance. He saw their corruptions. Mm-hmm. And he saw their flaws and he saw their weaknesses. Problem is that he couldn't stop seeing the corruption and the flaws and the weaknesses. So everybody was a bad guy who wasn't Saul Guerrero and on Saul Guerrero's team. You know, that made him, in some ways he was, he is kind of a parallel to Anakin in that now he just doesn't believe that the Jedi aren't just pawns. Mm -hmm. He doesn't believe that. So, but what happens to Saul, Saul's just like, stay out. Leave me and my planet alone. We're going to be independent, whatever. But Saul just keeps kind of going down this road. And because he sees the the Republic as corrupt and then 
After that, the Rebel Alliance is corrupt. It won't unite with the Rebel Alliance. He just ends up, you know, fighting and subverting both, mm-hmm. which doesn't win him any friends. Well, why would you have, why would anybody want to be the friend with this weirdo with his gas mask and his psycho squids and his, I guess we're well, seeing the he, end of. It's the very end. It's the very end. Before that, he was a compelling, charismatic leader. If you were the kind of person who had been burned by both sides or could see from the beginning or had felt, because there are all these planets out there that actually the Republic had used as pawns. And, you know, it was all this, like, you know, it was just complicated. Right. It wasn't light versus dark, good versus evil, actually. Palpatine was puppeteering it all, and the Jedi were pawns in his hand, and there were heroes on both sides, as as the great, the great title, title crawl says. says. Yeah, and that means that there were villains on both sides as well. And Guerrero was not having any of it from the beginning, and he got ended up, you know, getting more and more pragmatic. In you know, when his sister died, it was a problem. It's a thing that happened, and that pushed him. And so you have these kinds of parallels with Anakin's story and Anakin's development, but by the end, you can't trust anybody except yourself. Yeah. And uh, you're going to die alone. Well, he was tired of running, so he decided to commit movie suicide by just standing there and... Being engulfed. Being engulfed. Yep. Uh, do you think... I don't know. I'm tempted to say that, that at least the way they did it in this particular movie, it just took things too far into the direction of Shades of Grey... I mean, this is still a Star Wars movie after all, and having all the Alliance bicker and there being no clear hero besides maybe Mon Mothma and maybe Bail Organa. Bail Organa, but we don't get to spend a lot of time with him. I wish he was more of a prime mover in those debate scenes. And then to have Saw Gerrera be so obviously Middle Eastern terrorist psycho guy, it's pretty dark for a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I think, I mean, it has its place. Those... Uh, Star Wars deals in big grot- in grotesques mm. in types and I think that making Saw Gerrera an- another grotesque that throws a little layer of complexity to our new adult Star Wars film doesn't it doesn't do that much harm it's not like it's adding too many shades of gray really it just shows hey things are just slightly more complex than they were let me throw in a grotesque stereotype of how this works in that is the way that things work. There is always the guy who is never satisfied with anyone or anything mm-hmm. but himself and can be a critic of even the best parts of the rebellion. And what he does is he ends up isolating himself because he can't stop firing on the good guys as well as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And, and all of his efforts to correct the abuses of the, the system and the abuses of the correctors, he sets himself up essentially as the only guy who gets it mm-hmm. and so it's his way or no way Folks, no, let's not no forget that was... uh, jake's jake's a pastor right now and it really wouldn't surprise me at all if he had people that end up leaving churches in his mind as he, <laughs> he talks about some of this no <laughs> no <laughs> no and nobody ever becomes so angry and stodgy in their course correction and they 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 suddenly then accuse all the pastors of not going far enough and of Yep. <sighs> that never happens. Never happens. So do you think that the Sagarera part of the movie works? I can't say that it really works for me as someone who's divorced from the larger Sagarera mythology. And it feels like it kind of maybe crosses a line into like, you must watch the cartoons that 
that Star Wars has never quite crossed. Uh, no, I don't think that you must watch the cartoons to get any. I don't think the cartoons bring that much to the end of Sagarera there. I think it's a nice little hat tip. He's just another character that is there. And, you know, if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like they put the ghost in Chopper and they paged General Sindula. And those are all three great Easter eggs for Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon show. You know, that's the one that, you know, my kids are going to be like, that's the ghost. Right. That's Chopper. Did you hear them call General Sindula? No, we didn't. Actually, Dad would have had to point that one out because they weren't paying attention to background noise. Mm -hmm. But those are the things that are going to get them excited. It's like this latest trailer for uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I played it for the kids once. Then I played it a second time and I just hit pause on the fleet scene. And the Millennium Falcon's right up there up front to say, hey, kids, you notice anything? And they're like, the Millennium Falcon, what? And almost immediately, one of my sons just yells and runs over and he points to a ship that looks like the ghost Mm -hmm. from Rebels. And then everybody goes nuts. (laughs) Like, what? Ah, I'm so excited about this movie now. Like, that's the thing that my kids are really excited about. It's probably the first time they've been excited about The Rise of Skywalker because the fact is they don't care about the new trilogy at all. Yeah. And um, they never, like, they do not want to watch those movies. And when we get to them and I try to watch them as a family, they're going to be like, no, can we watch something else? And I'm going to have to watch those movies by myself or force them on my kids. (laughs) That's pretty damning. (laughs) I think it's pretty damning. Yeah, but they're excited about Rise of Skywalker now. But again, it's not because of... Because of a ship. It's because there was a ship that they saw that they recognized from... From The thing that they're actually excited about. The thing that they actually love, which is Rebels, the cartoon show, which has, you know, been done for a couple years now. So, yeah, let that say whatever it should say. I bet Rebels has like setups and payoffs and oh, some, man. some of the things that I've been complaining about uh, or that we've been complaining about Rogue One here. Like they probably have the cliche where we set up who the character is and how they feel about things and how we're supposed to feel about them. And Well, they can do, you know, the other thing that they can do is they can do that over seasons. Yeah, which is nice. You know. Rogue One actually does feel like it was condensed from either a longer movie or, you know, like a TV show or something like that. Like you could see this being an eight episode first we meet jen then we have the episode where we meet uh what's his face cassian and then well, we... that's what they've said about uh is uh the case with the obi-wan spinoff mm-hmm. it was always going to be a movie called kenobi and then they just decided let's just chill with the movies because we suck at them yeah well and let's try this new direction i like long form long form stuff i would have loved rogue one if we had the time to get to know her relationship with Saw a little bit more and to see some of it and to see who Cassian. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong, folks. I really like what Rogue would have One. been, what would have been cool is if we had been given just these characters mm-hmm. and we got to follow them. And the series finale was, we suddenly realized the whole point of this story is, has been leading up to these are the people that died yeah. stealing the death star plans. That's such a great story. And you could spend like three seasons telling the story of all these people with no idea where it was headed until the final arc. I love that. That would be super cool. And it would not surprise me at all if that's what the Mandalorian does. Yeah. Well, that'd be smart and cool. 
if it does something like that, I think I think that could be really neat and really fun. Yeah, if they find a way to actually successfully tie it into the larger mythos, oh, they will. That the, there's a reason why they brought Dave Filoni out of the uh, animation division. Out of yeah, out of leading the animation and canceled Resistance and put him on Mandalorian with John Favreau, and that's why he is the master of tying it all together and making it all fit and feel part of the universe and the mythos is laced through it all. It's just, he's really good at that stuff. Yeah. That's what's, which by the way, Mandalorian, Mandalorian full full trailer reaction in one sentence. I am no less or no more excited about it than I was after the first trailer. I think my one sentence would be they've got money <laughs> and they're putting it in it. Yep. <laughs> they believe in this. They believe in this. And, and by the way, Cool. I'm glad that they have money. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited that every episode will have like vistas and creatures and feel like Star Wars. I bet there's an episode or two that take place like in a in a room or in a yeah. space or in a, in a spaceship. Yeah. In the, the bottle episodes, as they call them, you know, the famous uh, Breaking Bad, where we got to catch the fly episode <laughs> yes, because, exactly. because our budget <laughs> requires us to be clever and I love the fly episode of Breaking Bad, and I think it's fun that they ran out of money and had to do a dumb Isn't fly that Ryan episode. Johnson? What's that? Isn't that Ryan Johnson? That is Ryan Johnson, yeah. The great Ryan Johnson, whose work we will have more opportunity to talk about very soon. So, I think we've pretty thoroughly covered Act 1 of Rogue One. Anything else to say about that? I don't think so. No, not really. It's got some good cinematography, Act 1 does. Yeah. Some of the best cinematography of the film up until the the yeah. final act and it's all about being on the ground with the characters it's about i mean it's obvious it's not it didn't take a brain scientist to come up with this but let's do handheld documentary a brain style. scientist yeah it, it didn't as take a brain scientist to a rocket surgeon as opposed <laughs> to a rocket surgeon um <laughs> i think they got some brain scientists together to oh we're just gonna do documentary we're gonna do you know it's saving private ryan vis-a-vis star wars you know it's, it's it, a little bit of D-Day there, little, a little bit of Pacific Theater, a little bit of... Yeah, but it's but it's great. It It's it's an obvious great idea that... Even it, the transport, even the plane, when it opens up, is going to look like opening up on D-Day, mm-hmm. you know, the duck boats or whatever. Yeah, those images are still just burned into our brains in a way that just makes them powerful today. You know, we're how many generations are we removed from the greatest generation now, but... You know, your kids have probably yeah. still, one way or another, seen enough of that stuff. Yeah, Even I think if you asked me on the last episode, what is it about World War II like iconography? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> good versus evil. <laughs> Bunch of heroes stood up to pretty bad villains and involved the whole world. Involved the whole world. They and... were they killed millions and millions of people and were gonna win and felt like maybe evil finally was gonna win and. Well, that's the war. That's the that's the clearly defined war that, and that's the, the war that our movie, like the last act, is Pacific Theater, World War Two, but the first act is like Afghanistan, which yeah. is a very you know, it's like and and it's properly so because we're talking murky. We're not sure who yeah. the good guys are. It's that kind of iconography. It's modern war iconography, and then we go into yeah. older war yeah. iconography, which is pretty smart. And the fun thing about Star Wars is you can be like on this planet. We do this kind of iconography and yeah, on this yeah. planet. This is the World War II planet. This is the Afghanistan, Iraq planet, which is smart. You don't, it's, it feels so inevitable, but you know, at a certain point, somebody made a smart decision. Like the desert planet is the one where everything feels 
off balance and weird and the, where the terrorists are yeah. i mean again doesn't didn't probably take a brain scientist to, to figure that out but yeah it taps into things without even having to say them uh then you got act two i don't even know what act two you got it then you got everything that leads up to the heist you got her dad getting blown up and yeah all that stuff sad suddenly the characters are hopeful and likable and a team mm-hmm. and suddenly we're in the middle of a pretty good movie even though we didn't have a lot of the setup for it mm-hmm. and suddenly jen's giving inspiring speeches if I, I really think if i was going to do this movie i would just make her more hopeful from the very beginning one way or another make her the dreamer and make diego luna the cynic and then you have two types that can kind of play off or something i don't just make them different don't make them both like we're cynical and in our own way. And Diego's got a little bit more red in his ledger. I understand that the conceit of the movie is that everybody was beautifully broken and they all needed to come together in Guardians of the Galaxy. Even K2SO was beautifully broken. Re- reprogrammed Imperial Droid. Funny, funny droid, by the way. One Good, of the best. One of the, Maybe, I mean, is there a better droid in Star Wars than K2SO? I mean, people aren't going to let you have that over R2. Yeah, but I'm an adult and it's a free country and the people can eat bantha fodder as far as i'm concerned k2so is a funnier he's funny more awesome cooler droid and he's got an awesome heroic death he's got a great death and one of his lines made me lol yesterday not ashamed to admit it i mean i think i I knew i knew it before i'd seen the movie but it got me i don't know what line was it watching it by myself i I think it was i'm with you jen diego luna says (laughs) i have to (laughs) yeah why can't we remember that guy's name? But Cass, Cassian. Yeah, Cassian. Cassian says, I have to. Yeah, I'll be behind you all the way, Jin. <laughs> Cassian, Cassian says, says, I have to. to. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> uh, a couple of good lines. Yeah, like that's that. just like, that's a great joke. It's got a setup. It's got a payoff. I love jokes like that. He's just a great, he's a, he's a, he's a wonderful droid and you love him. And that is the thing that you can do with droids is you can credibly make them really colorful colorfully bent in one very specific direction yes yes because they're just a droid yeah they don't have to be they're not human so they get to be you know yeah i will say a little bit a little bit drax the destroyer there guys we've seen guardians we know where you're cribbing from the character that just says the is the timetable that well maybe i'm wrong let's let's find out folks i'm not going to cut it out okay you look at guardians and i'll look at rogue one Guardians of the Galaxy is 2014. It's 2016 is Rogue One, so yeah. Yeah, those screenwriters saw their Guardians of the Galaxy, and they thought it would be funny to have a character that said, we're all going to die. They just said yeah. the obvious thing, but it works. Steal from the best. Just don't do it again in Solo and have another well, character that does that, which Solo did had some lame Drax kind of character too, didn't it? Uh, Solo had the sex spot. Oh, yeah. Oh boy. Ugh. Super gross. Yuck. Yeah. Gross. She's the worst. There are things not to be meta about, guys. The fact that the droids exist kind of in the space that slaves occupy in old like Civil War movies and stuff, in old racist horribles, is a really smart thing about Star Wars. And if you put a button on it, then you're gonna risk taking it away from people and ruining what's good about the droids. So it's let's just not think about it too much. So yeah, K2SO. We haven't talked about Donnie Yen and his buddy. I I thought they were just uh they brought they ended up bringing nice color to the film and again it was that really useful like you know Donnie Yen is the he is the true believer 
I am one with the force, the force is with me, I'm one with the force, the force is with me, which is a fun fact that you get from the film that is a distorted mantra from way back in the day. Nice. That's and cool. So it's not even... He's not getting it right? He's not getting it right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's just, a, again, just one more little wrinkle and touch that Dave Filoni is going to think to throw in there. That's great. And he always does that sort of thing in a retro, in a retcon sort of way, mm -hmm. but he did that and it worked. And there it you was go. cool. Or there's also the possibility that it's a separate... There are all kinds of possibilities. The Guardians of the Wills, maybe they follow a separate tradition that split and the right. mantra... But I love the idea that it's like, you he know, got it. He's getting it wrong. You know, yeah. imagine if there was persecution. Or he's, or he's Eastern Orthodox yeah, and exactly. we're Roman Catholic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. It just it taps into and the church split a thousand years ago, or right. you know, whatever. It taps into that kind of kind of that's that's cool. And then his buddy was like, you know, with his awesome machine gun howitzer thing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool that he has that, and it's cool that we also know that he was more of a true believer than Donnie Yen, but stuff happened and forget that those guys by the way cliched maybe in, in another universe nathan makes fun of it but that is effective storytelling shorthand that's good use of cliches that's good use of cliches and it's good quick so, sketching of characters yeah ktso donnie yen and and machine gun man right are all i think really great uses of cliches cliched characters donnie yen's gonna sit there like a monk he's gonna say some stuff about how we need to have he's faith. gonna get his i'm blind joke in haha -ha. oh that's great and that was an ad lib by donnie yen was it yeah i'm blind are you kidding me um <laughs> which is the big, probably the big laugh of the movie um <laughs> but that's the scene that we don't get with Jin. is the scene that just tells you okay who's this character so donnie yen he's gonna walk out He's going to be like, I am blind. And yet I, you know, he, and you see, we're suddenly going to get, okay, this is a guy. And his thing is he has faith. And he, he trusts the force and it hasn't let him down yet. He's no Jedi, but he's something else. And we get to see that through the medium of awesome martial arts scene. Jen, Jen got some things kind of like that, but she basically, we were told who she was instead of just getting the one scene where here's the character and this is her thing. She's a cynic with a heart of gold, or she's a, or Diego Luna. He, here's the, here's Again, this thing. Well, he well, feels listen, bad, but he is also has to do these things. That's the, that is what that battle scene was supposed to do for both Jen and Diego Luna. What happens with Jen? Jen goes and saves the little girl. Right. What happens with Diego Luna? He's the one who shoots one of Saw Gerrera's guys mm. in order to keep the thing from blowing up, in order to keep the thing from happening, that whatever. Right. He's just, he's got his mission and, everybody's a target that's in the way of his mission. That's good. I mean, it's all there. It just could have been clearer and better. Yeah. And it works. Like it actually, it works. The movie wouldn't pay off at the end the way it does if you didn't if basically did yeah. buy into this stuff. So we got those guys. Great little setup. Great little payoff. Donnie Yen's going to walk through the lasers at the end and get the switch to do the thing, to do the MacGuffin thing. And then he's going to get a shot and his friend is going to say the mantra and get blown up and yep. we'll, we'll all cry and yep, it'll be great. Okay, too. so he dies, it's paid off, then we just kind of go through and give everybody their one-by-one one mm -hmm. death payoff. We give Diego Luna a fake death. You can figure out through the art of having seen a movie before. <laughs> <laughs> I like the pilot, actually. I, the, oh, I think the yeah, movie... the pilot's got a good... 
he's got a good like his. I think the movie did done have done him a little dirty because let's set him up because he, the actor's so naturally sympathetic and he brings a lot to the role, but we don't really know exactly who he is except for the guy that was mistreated by Sagarera. Well, and he says that stuff like "This is for you, Galen," and it's like. I don't need to see a scene between him and Galen, but if I could just have a little 30 seconds at the beginning in act one to say like this guy really believed, had to sacrifice, you know, it could, it could be made that much more potent. But then you got act two and then you go into act three, they get back to the rebel base. Does it take away, this is kind of the same question I was asking with Solid Guerrero, does it take away from the rebels to see them so disunited and stupid and bickering and does that take no. something away from New Hope or add something to New Hope? No, it adds something to new because what I think happens, and this is part of the point of actual actually the show Rebels, mm-hmm. is you have these various cells of people who at various places or points are rebelling against the Empire, but it's not they're not allied. It's not they're alliance. not the mm-hmm. it's not the Rebel Alliance yet. It's just these assorted people who have just had enough. And are essentially acting as terrorists, right? You know, but they're they're Robin Hoods. You know, that's what the people that we follow in the show Star Wars Rebels—they're just Robin Hoods. Mm-hmm. And it's a former Jedi and a Jedi in training, and these other people that have had had—they've had various things taken away from them, and they're just—they're going to go out. They're going to protect people. They're going to undermine the Empire here and there in little places. Part of the work is. Can we form an alliance and can we trust each other and who's going to lead it? And why would we let the leaders of the fallen Republic, like Mon Mothma and Bail Organa, why would we let them be the ones in charge? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that, eh, I don't think it takes anything away because I think what happens actually by the end of the movie is, hey, wait a minute. I mean, there's a way to watch this movie that says Rogue One didn't just, not the movie, but the team Mm -hmm. didn't just secure the death star plans. What they did was the, the thing that pulled everybody together and gave them all the collective unity and mission that they needed. Like before it was, how do we undermine here? How do we do that? How do we do this? Oh, I don't know. We can pull this off. I don't know. We can do that. I don't know. Whatever they go off, they steal the plans. Everybody's like, wait a minute, they're stealing the plans. Let's just go all in. They all go in General Radis mm-hmm. leads the way. He's got a ship named after him that later that I'm pretty sure the that the Radis is what Jurassic Park lady flies through. Oh, well there you go. I think. It's like poetry. Yeah, it echoes. It echoes. It rhymes. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I think again, they didn't do a good job of telling that aspect of the story, but it's such a powerful thing though. The idea that when the guy runs up to Princess Leia at the end and hands her the thing and she says, hope, that's not the only hope that these people brought. It's actually just the hope of the rebellion writ large. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's no such thing as a Star Wars movie that's not more fun to talk about than to watch. actually watch for me. <laughs> it's like, these are really powerful things to, I, I can make myself excited. And th- this is a good movie. Again, this is probably my favorite Star Wars movie. I don't know. Um, it's the only one that I bought and it's the only one. Yeah, the fact is, if I'm going to have fun with a movie, I'm not going to watch a Star Wars movie. Right. But if there were a Star Wars movie that I would pop in on a Friday night by myself because my wife's away at a women's event or something mm-hmm. or hang out, I don't know what, 
Rogue One's going to be the one Star Wars movie that I pop in. I will yep. not watch a, one of those movies without my kids. Right. Not one of them. And or in, unless I have to do it for this show. Right. But Rogue One, I can see every every few years saying, "Man, that was cool. Man, that was beautifully shot. Man, actually, I want to have that feeling evoked again of living in this world. Man, I I want to see Vader take those guys out in the hallway. Like, okay, this is maybe horrible, but it reminds me like every year on Veterans Day or the Fourth of July, my dad would turn on the movie Gettysburg or something like yeah. that, and we'd all watch it and we'd like be in tears and remember the people who had died for us. Rogue One really kind of actually does that. It is. It has it that is, feeling like, let's, let's turn this on once a year and remember the people that died to, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to take down the Galactic Empire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does it very much and very intentionally, as we've pointed out. It plays like a World War II movie on purpose. Right. Well, and I mean, if I can defend myself a little bit and yourself and everybody who feels that way, we do have, I mean, Star Wars has been around for 40 years. It's been around for longer than you and I have it's been around our whole lives. We've had 35, you know, ish years of star Wars. Yeah. And so to make a movie about these are the people who made it possible for this, this thing to exist that you love. I mean, it's a very meta weird thing to try and wrap your head around, but it's like Jen Ur- Urso died so that you and I could have star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that does mean something like it's in some meta stupid dorky way. I'm not saying it actually means something, but I'm saying it does evoke the feeling of meaning yeah. in a way that's very entertaining and powerful. So I guess we're on act three. Yeah. I don't know that there's a, all that much I have to say about Everybody it. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. That's great. It's cathartic. And you get, and I just, and I'm sitting in a theater, get more and more excited because it's like, oh, they didn't pull their punch there. Oh, they didn't pull their punch there. Oh, I think they're going to do it. Oh, they did it. The suits didn't, actually the suits were the one that's, the story is that Gareth Edward, whoever broke this story, they lived because they just thought they had to. And Kathleen Credit Kennedy and her brain trust, to their credit, said, this doesn't make any sense. They should die. It'll be a better movie. So thank you, cigar-chomping evil Star Wars producers for making Yay. at least one. Good decision. And they said put Vader in the end. So Another good decision. That's Yay. Yay. Maybe that's the last thing we have to talk about. Vader in the end. Good. Cool. Cool. Pretty transparently fan service yep and i don't think either one of us who cares cares at that's all. what what do you want in us listen if the only person that can possibly save this new trilogy is jj abrams and his the only way he can do it is by is by pulling you, out use all the fan, the fan service yes, exactly. yeah. use the fan service jj <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> pull out all the stops i am one with the fan service <laughs> <laughs> the fan service is with me <laughs> 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 I mean, really, honestly. Save us, JJ fan service. You're our only yeah, hope. <laughs> you are our only hope. Tap into the stuff that we used to like because you haven't done any work to make anything new that we're going to like. And okay, let's live with that. Let's just tap into the old stuff and do it. Call it out. Call it all back, man. Mm-hmm. Call it all back. Give us, give us, just rip off like like we already predicted. But rip off Rowling's Harry Potter series. Give us the Deathly Hallows. Let's go on a Horcrux quest. Let's figure it out. And then let's have a portal scene at the end where all our force ghosts come out and, you know, the music plays and Doctor Strange is there opening it all up mm-hmm. and the ghosts come out and Spider-Man swings through. And yeah. And then let's let's take down Palpatine once and for all. 
Avengers Endgame. You bring balance the, to the force. The more I think about it, the more I don't even like that movie, but it gives you the one thing that you need, which is... It's all our heroes! Yay! Yay! <laughs> and Star Wars, Rise <laughs> and of Skywalker. Then, let's take the chosen one yeah. and let's kill him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's let him die, bringing down Thanos. Yep, that's, and that's it. That's the movie what wins. you need. It did the bare minimum thing that it needed to do and it did it okay. That's all Rise of Skywalker needs to do. And I've seen articles by nerds who say, do not bring back Hayden Christensen. We hate Anakin. False. False. This you is not lose. Yeah. I award you zero points. Yes. You do not understand Star Wars. I don't care what you think about it. Right. If you don't understand that Hayden Christensen's Anakin is Star Wars. You are zero with the force, my friend. You have, yeah, yeah you're like. You're like director Krennic. Yeah. That's what you're like. You just want to use Star Wars to like get ahead or something. Yeah, like that. and you know, know what's going to happen is you're going to get blown up by the Death Star. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> while you're trying to protect it. Right. <laughs> you lose. Yeah, you you lose. Listen, that is a good metaphor. Actually, you're going to like try and <laughs> cling on to Star Wars, and it will destroy you. Yeah, yeah just let it be Star Wars. You let know? it be Star Wars. It is the story of Anakin. Yeah, Anakin as represented by Hayden Christensen. That is just the way it is. Get over it. Accept it. Five and stages of grief. You should it. be on stage five, acceptance. Yeah. Embrace it. Learn to love it. Stop worrying and love the bomb. Yeah. For goodness sake. What, what, what My, would Yoda say? Listen, Yoda would I'm tell gonna, you gonna, to gonna, accept the inevitable, to be, to be at peace. I'm going to come back and I'm just going to remind you of the fact that everything in Star Wars is about Anakin mm-hmm. until this new trilogy. Absolutely everything. And... For goodness sake. Even Rogue One gets its potency from being about, well, here's the janitor that cleaned up so that Anakin could do his thing. Like, exactly. That, the whole point of this movie is that it's about Anakin, the Skywalker Sega, by being conspicuously not about the Skywalker Sega. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's like George Washington had to cross the Delaware, so here's the guy that rode the boat. At the end of the day, Anakin throws the emperor down the shaft. Mm-hmm. He saves the day. He dies. All of my kids cry when he dies mm-hmm. because they're not mourning Darth Vader. They know the man beneath the mask. And then when his force ghost shows up, they lose it because they understand what you have failed to understand because they have embraced all of Star Wars and you have it. And so- It's around them. It binds them. <laughs> <laughs> holds them together. <laughs> Luminous beings are they. <laughs> the original trilogy, it's about Luke and Vader. When you put in the prequel tr- trilogy, it becomes that much more about Anakin. When you go back and do seven seasons of Clone Wars or six and a half seasons of Clone Wars or whatever it actually was of 20 something episode seasons that are all centered around Anakin Skywalker and are telling the story of Anakin Skywalker going from the greatest hero ever in the and most powerful Jedi of all time to fallen Jedi. Like, and when you come back in Rebels and you cannot stop circling around the fact that Vader is here. Mm-hmm. Vader is the force to still be reckoned with and nobody can quite do it. And you have to bring back Ahsoka Tano from Clone Wars. And even Rogue One, which is about the janitor that cleaned up whose shadow is going to loom over the whole thing. And why are you going to pay to see the movie more than once in theaters? It's it's all about Vader. Mm-hmm. It's all about Anakin Skywalker, all of it. And so if this movie doesn't come back 
I mean, it's bringing back Palpatine. If mm-hmm. it doesn't come back and make this the story of Anakin Skywalker's final triumph and Anakin bringing balance to the Force one way or another. Then lost have we, and into exile must we go. Yeah, or go we must. Or even. go we must, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he actually says either. <laughs> you have kids, you probably got it right. <laughs> I don't have to watch those dumb things as much as you do. Yeah, agreed. Actually, we'll circle back to that in a second. Any final thoughts on Rogue One as a movie? It's a, let me just reiterate, it is a wonderful 20-minute movie. Even if you're going with my theory that the whole thing is kind of choppy, that that final chunk is great. Yeah. Um, And it pays, it shows you what a great chunk can do for a movie, especially if it's the climactic chunk. Like, even even the, the staunchest Rogue One apologist, I think, would say it gets better as it goes. And having that final stuff hit the way it does is I was contemplating a Goonies joke, but decided against it. I just want everybody to know that. What would the Goonies joke have been? Well, chunk is, Oh, of course. I've actually never seen the Goonies. So I say, of course, as if I know the Goonies, but chunks just the character and the Goonies. And so the way that you're talking about every movie has good movie has a good chunk. And Mm -hmm. you know, Goonies (laughs) has the best little (laughs) chunk of them all. There you go. I think you should have gone for it. I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I don't think it would have paid off. Yeah, yeah. Was, there wasn't really. You never know. Either. No risk, no reward. All right. Sometimes you got to lift that. Lift that. I'm one with the force. The force is yeah, with exactly me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. Uh, that's Rogue One. It's a quality movie, and also interestingly taken as as an artifact in and of itself. Not a good movie at all. Yeah. I, I do submit to you. You unplug this from Star Wars. You don't have a movie. Like, this is like Aragon or something like that. It's this dumb fantasy thing that you don't care about. But because it bears the Star Wars weight, that's not a criticism, though. It knows it bears the Star Wars weight, it bears it well, and it does interesting things with it. So very quickly, we were just talking about Rise of Skywalker. I figure we should do a quick check-in while we're here. Yeah. Is there anything else that we want to say to the trailer? I don't think we've ever done, like, a trailer reaction, and I don't know that I have that much to say about it, but is there is there anything else we need to... I mean, it's worth noting that my son watched the latest trailer and saw that moment where Ray and Kylo Ren are attacking this pillar looking thing mm-hmm. together and Ray's holding this weird dagger thing. And he immediately said, is that like Vader's ashes and stuff? I bet it holds the spirit of Palpatine in it or something <laughs> like that. Right. Which was our prediction mm-hmm. uh, from from before. So that kind of discouraged me that like, okay, my 11 year old son has picked up on surely this idea. JJ surely Abrams it's is... misdirection, but, um, I don't know. I'm not convinced that Peter wouldn't have figured out force awakens and JJ did everything predictable there. Fair. Very fair. So yeah, I don't know. There's not, there's not a whole lot new to add. I think from the trailer, we'll just have to see. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know. The character's, go places and do things and yeah and we see some guy ride a space horse or something like that yep those space horses that they freed and was that one of those yeah don't you remember we had that whole scene where we had to free the horses because we were being all i'm sure god we made him pay rose (laughs) now we're riding those horses into we're just bringing it all back bringing it all back riding those horses on top of a star destroyer or something like that yeah cool yeah great yeah yeah. Um, yay i don't know I wish I was. I wish I liked these new characters. I wish I was actually excited to see Poe and invest invested and in Finn and Ray. Yeah. And, and I would have been after if 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 you know Force Awakens was a fine introduction to them. But we'll get to Last Jedi 
soon enough. Uh, Mandalorian trailer, we said. Oh, man. Well, yeah, that that second trailer didn't add much to it, but that is, you know, what's going to be funny is when, when everyone comes away from 2019 thinking the coolest Star Wars thing that's ever happened is the Mandalorian, not the finale of the Skywalker saga, which is what's going to happen. Yeah, probably. It's what's going to happen. I I think JJ is going to do a, a great job of uniting the fans and redeeming Last Jedi and making it all feel good. But at the end of the day... Last Jedi didn't leave him much to work with. At the end of the day, the Mandalorian is going to stand in place in everybody's minds as the good Star Wars storytelling. So what you're probably actually arguing is that Star Wars is moving fairly permanently to the small screen. That's where the actual Star Wars that people like is going to live and breathe. And the movies, yeah. insofar as people like them, will be extensions of the that, TV shows. That's what, I, that's what I think. I think... We'll start to get the Ahsoka Tana I mean, movie and things like that. I think that what we're, what's going to happen... There may be just be new characters that are developed. I mean, not to be a fanboy, but I think that the mantle, the Star Wars mantle, clearly rests on Dave Filoni's shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I trust him to tell good Star Wars stories because he's the only person who's ever told good Star Wars stories. Yeah, I still don't trust... Well, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Last Jedi, I think... Or not Last Jedi. Um, well, Rise of Skywalker will tell us a lot. Did, did Kathleen Kennedy learn anything? from Last Jedi. I tend to suspect she did not, but if she learned that we can't actually, people aren't ready for us to politicize these things as people still kind of want a good old-fashioned story if we're going to make lots of money. They broke the ice. They did the thing. They got the praise that they wanted. Now they can come back and do an old-fashioned story and decide, do they really want to let Ryan Johnson off the chain? You know? They've already those, canned the Game of Thrones guys. Yeah, which wasn't a big surprise. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna live on Disney Plus for a while and figure out that stuff. Mm, that's what I would do if I were them. And then let those stories emerge and let those worlds. But anticipation actually, the chance we've got is to go away for a while and and make the next yeah, movie like Obi Wan on Tatooine. Yeah, and even if there's TV shows, you can still you can still build up anticipation. So whatever the next movie after rise of Skywalker, that'll actually be one of the important ones. Well, and honestly, what may happen is they may get so be, they may be able to get so prestige in this, in the, the, the Disney plus TV world that in some ways a movie might end up being a letdown. Mm -hmm. I think that is what will happen, but it's not what, the corporate suits want to happen because uh, they stand a profit if they can actually get people to go to the theater absolutely and make a billion dollars on one of those event movies yeah and so what will probably i mean the smart thing to do would be not to build your event movies out of your tv world then. Mm -hmm. what it would be is let's tap out this tv world and then let's go back to the old republic or let's go forward and create a new thing have a new trilogy like they've talked about well, so Marvel, and then, then let's go and fill that out with TV. Marvel kind of tried that tactic, and it may be that it's a good tactic and their execution just sucked, but they kind of failed at it because they had their Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing that nobody cared about and some TV shows. Agent Carter. Agent Carter. None of those things were knock it, knock it out of the ballpark. 
successes. They had their fans and they still have their fans. And then yeah. they had, and then if you wanted to see Robert Downey Jr., you're going to pay money and go to the theater, you jerk. Yep. So that was kind of their thing. And you can understand why they would do that. But it seems like now it's like, we're going to get Jeremy Renner. We're going to get Wanda. We're going to get, mm-hmm. we're still not, we, Robert Downey Jr. probably still never appearing on a TV show. Yeah, unless it's a voice cameo as like an AI or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they may do things like that, but probably, probably maybe like Doctor Strange, maybe we have to pay to see Doctor Strange. You know, in other words, yep. our two or three biggest stars, you still got to pay for. But that might not be enough to sustain those movies as event movies. Like, yeah, especially we'll without somebody of the caliber of Robert Downey Jr. Like, well, I mean, I think what they did do, I mean, they know who their top tier guy. We're not going to see Tom Holland anywhere but on the big screen. We're not going to see Chadwick Boseman anywhere mm-hmm. but on the big screen. Right. And the first time we see Wolverine or Mr. Fantastic will be on the big screen. And so basically all they've done is decide, now that we've retired these characters, let's keep making money off of them. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I'd be interested to see somebody actually try the model and maybe Star Wars will go this direction of we're going to do everything on both media. The big screen will just be the the payoff. It will be Avengers Endgame, but but the TV shows will in fact be the Marvel movies. We have uh, a show called Jen Erso mm-hmm. or whatever. And then Rogue One. If you want to find out the exciting conclusion to Jen Erso's The story, finale of that show is actually... You go pay to see it in the theater. And that paradigm has worked kind of for things like Star Trek. Things have things like Star Trek and X-Files and Downton Abbey. There are things that have moved in between TV yeah. and uh, movies. But it's always been pretty bifurcated. Like the TV era is done. Now where it's time for the movie era. Although X-Files, I think they just kind of threw a random movie in there or two. Yeah. But to see some to see a franchise actually try and just live in both worlds would be an interesting experiment. Yeah. I don't know. They probably have my money either way. All right, Jake, any more thoughts about Rogue One, Star Wars, State of the Star Wars, predictions, Mandalorian, anything at all? Nope. Cool. Sanity at the Movies, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Until next time, I will go to patreon.com forward slash sign of sanity to support us. And until next time, rebellions are built on hope. They are. <laughs>